0: How's everyone doing? Good. This is so different when you look on the... A couple of weeks ago I said sometimes when I preach it's really good. And I go back and I have to listen because of what Holy Spirit said. So I had to do that last week. And when you look on the internet, it looks like there's no one in the church. I'm pretending to speak to people because <laughs> the camera's up there. And there's absolutely no one here. So people who watch it must be thinking, This is fake guy standing in front of nobody. Talking and crying and all of this, and no one's there. He's a good actor. He should probably go and try for a movie star. So, in any case, I shall try and keep it together today. As pastor says, Elliot's a crazy guy. I'm obviously the guy that balances the crazies out there because I'm not crazy. I don't shout and scream and go, but shouting and screaming is good. So, for those who were not here last week, just a quick recap. Spoke about, can we have the verse from Jude, please, guys? But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. That was what the message is named or titled, keeping yourself in the love of God. So how do you do that? Praying in the Holy Spirit, looking for the mercy of God and building yourself in your most holy faith. So that would be strange if we know that we are in love. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are one with God. So why would the brother of Jesus then write to us if all of that is true, which it is? If Romans 8 says that nothing can separate you, why does the brother of Jesus say, keep yourself in the love of God if we are there? because I believe circumstances happen here in the hear, smell, touch, taste, and see world. So when we are all the time seated with Christ in our spirit, sometimes emotionally we sink down to a level where we don't feel connected. We don't feel that we are there, but in truth we are. Nothing can separate that oneness. So that's why I, write. I pray in the Holy Spirit, look for the mercy I just explained how to do that, what we can do as Christians to keep ourselves in looking for the mercy of God. So, um, even in pre-service prayer, Kevin was leading prayer and asking what, what do I want today for the service. And there's, there's so much on the inside of me that these last couple of months have been really just emotional for A lack of a better word, just very emotional. I've been crying a lot just in his presence and Pastor Doug says the Lord speaks to him in the bathroom a lot. I praise God that doesn't really happen to me a lot. God speaks to me in the gym. So, yes, to gym. uh, gym. (laughs) The gym bathroom. The gym bathroom. Okay. (laughs) The gym bathroom. So, Even yesterday and this morning, just running, and I'm running a lot now. I'm training for something that I wasn't supposed to be able to do, doing a marathon, and I was supposed to be in a wheelchair in a bed forever. So just crying on the treadmill. Got my earphones in, and I'm listening to sermons and teachings, and people can't see I'm crying because I'm sweating so much. So praise God for that. But I'm just bawling. And what God is doing is just going to places in my mind that are wrong, and little did I know four or five years ago when God said to me lying in bed one night, Rifle, do you think you have a renewed mind? When God asks you that question, you know what the answer is. So I was, well, if you ask that, then obviously the answer is no. So, and then he started teaching, and what he's doing now is just going to my mind and showing me how to renew what it means. But it is like an onion just peeling off layer by layer by layer and the Lord has got pretty deep now where it's not fun anymore. Those layers are I, I just rather leave it there. And God is saying well you can leave it there Okay. So this is just for the people on the internet to see there are actually other people in church. It's not just me. So God has got to a place now where he's saying you can leave it there. If you don't want to go deeper, it's fine. But I said maybe three, I don't know, about three months ago, two months ago, I said there are just certain things in my life that are not working. they just not the way they should be. I know there's more. I know God wants more, but it's, it's it's not happening. So somewhere in my life, something is wrong. And God is peeling off layers, one after the other. So it has to do with a soulish realm. And this is why I believe Jude writes this. He says, because you are, you're seated in heavenly places. That's the truth. One with God. But emotionally, in the soulish realm, things happen. And we have to fix the soul so that it lines up with the spirit. So when the two are always on the same level, then things can truly start happening. So that was just a recap of last week. So, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Probably, Brett, when was the last time you preached? Maybe four weeks ago? So Brett was speaking four weeks ago, and just love the messages that he brings new revelation to us here, and just the new life, and I, I, I love the new Brett. Not that the old Brett was bad, but he will tell you how changed he is and how he sees life differently and how life has changed because of the way he sees now. So it all has to do with a mind, with a soul. So Brett was talking, and at one stage he said, we look at God from our perspective. So the words that Brett used were, Brett said, if you feel guilty, God is condemning you said, if you feel lonely, God is far from you. If you have shame, then God is not pleased with you. That's what Brett said. And when he said that, it was like a, just a storm went off on the inside of me. And I didn't hear anything of the rest of the message. I had to go home and listen on the computer because God was just dealing there. And that is so true is that, because of neurological pathways, because of things that we have experienced in our lives. That is the lens or the viewpoint or the way we see. And it's not necessarily the truth. And Jesus makes it very clear in the word. He says, only one thing sets free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when you feel guilty... It's not God condemning you. It's you looking at that situation wrong. And we've been saying now over and over again, even in the Garden of Eden when Adam sins, he sees God differently after they ate the fruit than before. Because from God's standpoint, God still came to the Garden to speak with man in the cool of the day. But man is hiding. So whose viewpoint changed? Man's. Adam's fallen man. He sees God differently now, so he's hiding. God didn't change. We've used the verse over and over again. You were enemies in your mind, not from God's point of view, from your broken soul's point of view. You were an enemy, which is not truth. And whenever you and I come into a circumstance, situation, and we think God is far off, God is angry, God is this because of my shortcomings, that's not truth. And now you're living from a soul which is not prospering, so you can't be in health. What is happening now, you're living out of a soul which is broken, so soul poverty instead of soul prosperity. So I'm going to take some circumstances from my life, and I know that I've been speaking to so many people who are going through the same thing, just on a different circumstance or situation, but it's a very, very same thing. It's levels of the soul that need to be healed. So, A.W. Tozer, we've quoted him so many times, but two of his quotes here that I think are so amazing is the one says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. But he has another one that I haven't used. Nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy concept of God. And this is what God is dealing with me now, is a low and an unworthy concept of God. I'm 48 years old and God is dealing with this now. The way I see him, the way I perceive him, and I hate Standing in front of you here. Wanting you to think that I've got everything sorted out in my life. I don't. I'm going through stuff. I'm dealing with issues now that the Lord is opening wide open. That are forcing me on the floor and making me bore like a baby. But it's my choice because I know on the other side of this is glory. I can choose to play it safe and not face the pain and the fear and whatever it needs to get there, or I can say, because I trust in his goodness. Rip every layer upon layer upon layer and wall upon wall that I have built around my heart, pull it down so that I can see you for who you truly are standing in front of you as your teaching pastor standing here, I have so many misconceptions of God. And at 48 years old, he's pulling and ripping those things away and saying, do you want to go deeper? There's so much more of me. I have so much more, but it's your choice. I want to. I don't like what I'm going through now, and I know because God is dealing with me on this, that some of you are maybe facing the same issue or could maybe be. And how much do you want to see God for who he truly is? From truth or from a broken soul? And that's our choice. So, I'm trying to hold it together here, I'm telling you. John seven thirty-eight. please. John seven thirty eight, and we've read this so many times. And this verse, man, as I say, since four years ago, everything now that I read in the Bible is concerning the mind. God is bringing me back to the mind, the soul, how that works, how it doesn't work. This verse could have said, He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It could have said that, but it doesn't. And that's the problem. It says, he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his innermost being. So now my question is, what does the scripture say about Jesus? The problem is, when I go to a Baptist church... The Baptists tell me, this is what the scripture says. Then I go to a Catholic church, and the Catholic church tells me, oh, no, 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 no. This is what the scripture says. Then I go to another denomination, and they say, no, and and you, I go to a non-denominational, we non-denominational, and we say, oh, no, no, this is what, My question today is because of the power of your soul and your subconscious mind is, how do you see God? Because God is love. How in your own life have you experienced love? Because you see, we heard now, even this morning... Love looks like something. There's so many different viewpoints of love these days. Love is, love anyone. Do the love here. I love you. Love, love, love. But if God is love, and you had people in your life that should have loved you, but they didn't, and now that is your neurological pathway. That is your soulish realm. When you bring that broken perspective and viewpoint of people who should have taken care and loved you, and you bring that into your relationship with God, you are in trouble. Because he's perfect love. And as good and as amazing as your mom and dad were, they were not perfect. Perfect. And as good and as amazing as you are as a parent, you are not perfect. Which is very easy to see as a dad. I don't have anyone need to tell me, man, your parenting skills, you, you're you, you not like God the Father. Like, yeah, I know, that's why I'm on my knees every single day because he gave me a son. i got to be loved to him. But how we see God. He who believes in me, as the scripture says. How do you see the God of the scripture? And God has taken me to a parable here. Um, we'll read it just now in Luke chapter 19. But here yeah, I just wrote yesterday at the gym. God was showing me some examples of my mind. Just as I say, this is just me. So how I was subconsciously affected. So my grid... My lens, my viewpoint of God is skewed, is wrong because of the way that I was brought up, things that I've gone through, things that I've experienced in my life. So, as I say, I'm 48 and God is dealing with this in my life right now. So... When I was at school, just one thing I mean, there's so many I'm on the treadmill, and God is bringing one example after the other, after the other, after the other, and I'm crying and I'm crying, and I'm running faster and I'm crying, and I'm running further and I'm crying, and God is just one after the other. He's like, "See that, see that, see that, see that, see that? that's not me, 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 one after the other. So there was a guy now in our, in, in our rugby team, and during the holidays. His dad would make him pull trucks for training, and he was he was a pastor. And his nickname at school was Pastor. We just did that at boarding school, so his dad was a pastor, so his name was Pastor. And we would come back from holidays, and we would you know say, "What did you do?" And holidays were actually now that I come to think about, I didn't know this. I didn't see it then, because it's just the way it was. Because of our rugby and we had to, there was a prize set before us, a cup that we wanted to win, a trophy. You had to work, you had to do everything to get to that trophy. And every holiday, you would go and you would get a program. They would say, this day you run so far, this day you do this, you do this, you do this. So even holidays were not really, really fun. Because the day when the holiday was finished and you got back to school, you know what happened? You got a fitness test. And if you didn't make it, you let the team down. And you're so selfish because what about all the other 14 in the rugby team that did it but you didn't? And you just think about yourself. And if this is year in and year out, year in and year out, if that's your perception, if people who should have loved and nurtured the gift inside of you, rather than use it and abuse it so that they could get a trophy and a cup with their name on, it's a skewed, perverted vision of people that have oversight over your life. And God is showing me this. So this guy would come back and he would pull trucks and he would, and his dad never missed the game. His father was always there and you know, in our minds, that was—that's a loving father because he knows what's best. And now pulling these trucks and making him hard and making him tough is just gonna—it's it, just gonna help him in the end. And there's so many things. I'll, I'll read one or two more here. Um, no, for time, let's not even go there. But two of two of our favorite verses that we use in the Bible is where it talks about our vision of keeping our minds. In, in the Old Covenant, it says in Jeremiah, it says, sorry, in Isaiah, keep your mind on God, 26.2. If you keep your mind on him, he will keep you in perfect peace. My question is, what kind of a mindset do you have when you go to God? Because you see, we read stories about God is so amazing, he has a promised land for his people. But they go through the desert 40 years, there's no water, there's snakes that bite them, there's enemies, there's walls, there's all of that to get to the promised land. So this good father, who has something so amazing for me, first has to take me through all of these things, which are so hard. Who wants to go to a desert for 40 years? Who wants to be bitten by snakes? Who doesn't want any water? Who What loving father is that? That's God, your father. That's a skewed viewpoint. Because it was only an 11-day journey. But in church, we hear about so many times the desert and dying and snakes and all of this. And we don't hear the truth about the journey. But the sad part about this whole story is what the people thought in their minds about God, they got. Why did God bring us out here to die? That's a lie. God didn't bring you out here to die. you misunderstanding Him. You're an enemy in your mind. But because you believe it, you will make that your reality and you died in the desert and you blame God and it was not God at all. So when we come into this relationship with God... My question is, what, what is good? How good is good? At school, when we were at school, we had something called RI, religious instruction. We were not allowed to draw Jesus or God. It was blasphemy. It was the teachers put the fear of God, not in a good way, into us children at six years old when we got to school and we had religious instruction. You can draw the disciples, you just do not draw God or Jesus because they are so far, they are so hard. Do not do it. And at six years old, you got this fear of, my goodness, I can draw the disciples, I can do this, but I'm not allowed, why? why? Just don't. Because the inspectors of education would shout at the T, you know, it's working its way down. And eventually the ones at the lowest level of the totem pole, me, sit there and I get told, don't do this because it's wrong. If you do that, I'm going to get in trouble. So behave yourself. God never says, if you do that, I'm going to get in trouble, rifle, so you behave yourself. Wrong concept. But that's, I'm talking about me. This is my mind. This is my neurological pathway. and God is breaking us down. So my question is, he, uh, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. How much do you trust in? That's what I said last week, Ephesians 2.10. How much do you trust in that good work? Go in your quiet time and really go inside here and find out. You, how much do you trust God? Are you going through something right now where, man, this issue is greater than God? I don't care what the issue is. But is there something in your life where it's greater and the concern and the fear, whatever of that thing is greater than God is God and he will make it work for me? The other one is in the new covenant, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. I just believe in the old covenant, they couldn't look to Jesus because he hadn't come yet. So they had to could only imagine and keep their minds on God. But in the new covenant, we have the word. We see Jesus. We can look to Jesus. Old covenant, you couldn't. You could only imagine him. So Old Covenant, use your mind, New Covenant, mind and eyes. You get a perfect vision of Jesus. Did the Father not in so many examples say, hear him? This is my beloved son. And we quote and look at other places in the Bible. Well, that happened and this one said this and that one. Jesus never said that. Jesus didn't hear him. And we go to places that is not God, not how God acts, but because of a wrong mindset, we bring that into our lives. And now when I feel guilty, God is angry. No, that's a lie. Not the truth. So my question is, what Jesus, what God are you looking at? Are you looking at him from truth's perspective? Or are you looking from a broken Soulish realm and perspective. If we can go to the parable in, in Luke nineteen, verse eleven to twenty-seven, the parable of the miners. The Lord gave this to me. The end of just after the the sixth month period in twenty eighteen. So more than two years ago, God gave me this. This morning while I'm on the treadmill at gym, I'm running and God says, the first prophecy that you got, take that out and go read it. Mm -hmm. Here is the first prophecy written on the original paper that I got. I'm going to read two or three lines from it. I've just been saved. This is 1992. So what, 28 years ago? My first prophecy that I ever received. I'm going to read two lines. Uh, Something, 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 something. It is important that you know this. Otherwise, you will work for God and not with him. God likes you and is not hiring you to work for him. I don't know what a prophet. I'm just saved. Five months saved. Uh, You all know Bill Bennett. It's his church. So the prophet is Joe Smith. He went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. People tell me, got a prophet at church, must come. I'm like, a prophet? Aren't they dead? Don't they just in the Bible? No, no, we have prophets today. I'm like, oh, okay, that's amazing. Go to the meeting, calls people out. I'm like, you know, when I was finished, like, how, did, how, does, how does he know that? I had no idea. But you need to know these things. Otherwise, you will work for God. All my life, I had to work to get something from people. My coaches at school, I had to work to get there. Well, well done, good, Well, we're proud, good job. If I didn't perform, I didn't get it. So now I use that mindset and that reality and I bring it into my relationship with God and if I don't perform, if I don't do this, if I don't, then maybe I don't love him, maybe I'm not really saved, maybe he's far from me, maybe, 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 because of my wrong viewpoint of God. So this prophet doesn't know me first. Sentence in my life of prophecy, you have to know this. God likes you. Because I didn't like myself. I didn't like myself. Another whole teaching for another day. Then it goes on. It says, yeah, don't stumble over weaknesses in others. Bear their weaknesses. And it talks about uh, Barnabas bearing Paul's weaknesses. It says, don't stumble in weak. don't stumble in their weaknesses. It says, uh, therefore learn to do this, and this will bring character, integrity, love, and compassion in you. There was no compassion where I came from, which was so wrong, because I'm a very compassionate person. My heart is filled with compassion. I am. But where I grew up, and the schools, and the sports that I played, and the teachers that I sat under, there was no place for compassion. Nothing. Nothing. It says, you yeah, bear others' weakness. You know what happened to you when you were weak? Survival of the fittest. You go to a boy with a thousand boys in a boarding school. You think boys want to see compassion and love and gentleness and meekness and patience? You think your rugby coach wants compassion and love and gentleness? Our rugby coach, when we came off the field, he's saying was, I want blood on your boots. There wasn't place for compassion. I didn't put up with people's weakness. Because if you're weak, you're going to die. If you're weak, you're not going to make it. So you do what you have to do to make it. That's not God. God is gracious. God is kind. God is full of compassion. But I bring that weakness mentality into this relationship and I can't be weak. So if he tells me to do something, whether I like it, don't like it, believe it, don't believe it, you do it because I'm God. If you don't, you watch it. That's the mentality that I bring into this relationship. That's what God is dealing with me today, 48 years old. I'm standing in front of you confessing this, saying that God is now peeling off layer by layer because I see him completely wrong in so many ways. So he takes me to this parable here. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable Because he was near Jerusalem and because they had thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten miners, and he said to them, do business till I come. What is business? Business is taking money because it's miners, It's not talents yet. It's physical money. Take this money and go make more. That's business. No one goes into a business to bring back less than what they put in. So Jesus, in this parable, is saying, here's money. When I come back, I want more. Okay. So go and do business. But his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him, 15. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your miners earned ten. He said, Well done, good servant, because you are faithful in it, will have authority over ten cities. Second one came, your miners earned five miners likewise. You also five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your miner, which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief, for I fear you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. And then he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant, you knew that I was a steer man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did, not, did you not put your money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? My question is, same master, right? Same amount of money, Right? doesn't say anything about the other seven. It talks about three. So we're focusing on the three here. Two of the three go and they do what the master told them to do, right? My question is, why did they do that? Because I've heard so many teachings. I've gone now and listened to this over and over. And there's so much that we have to um, assume in this parable. There's so much assumption now that I'm reading and God is taking me to this. is like, so why did those two, why did they go and do what they did? Did they do it because in their hearts they loved their master and just obeyed everything he said? Or did they do it because he's my master and whatever he says, he's coming back to get more, so I better get going. Why did they do it? We don't know. What we do know Is just about the third. So Jesus gives him the same amount of money, gives him the same instruction, and this guy says, I knew. I knew. So my question is, where did he get his mind set from? What had formed his perception of his master that he would get to the point where he knew That his master was hard and austere and that he was just this hard man. What happened in his life that brought him to this point where the master came and gave him this money that he said, you know what, I'm just going to hide it because I don't want to lose anything. And Jesus says to him, out of your mouth, whatever you say, you'll be judged by that. Because you see, the problem with this guy is, if he knew that his master was someone who reaps where he didn't sow, if he knew that, why didn't he do something about it? You see, he knew that, but he's like, even though I know it, I'm just going to disobey and not do what you tell me to do, even though I know the kind of man you are. So I'm just going to hide this. So you tell me to do something, push off, no. No. Won't do it. Just plain old disobedience. Will not obey. But my question is why did he know? Where did something happen in his mind that he got the picture of his master of being this hard taskmaster? Did the other two have the same mindset? I don't know. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But what this is talking about is talking about the attitude of this third servant. Who knows how the master is, but says, I don't even care. I know what I should do. I know what is right, but I'm not going to do it. And then Jesus says, you wicked servant. Who do you think I see myself as in this parable? Because do you think there were times God told me to do something and I just didn't do it? So, what did Jesus say to this guy? Out of your mouth, you know I was God, you know what I wanted, and you just didn't do it. Wicked. So, that which you have, I'm going to take away from you as well. And I'm going to give it to him who has ten. Remember this? Over here? Rightful God is not hiring you to work for him. So I come to him and he gives me stuff and I don't do it. And he says, you wicked, and I'll take it away and I'll give to others. One of my first memories at school was a teacher who read the newspaper, I've told this before, someone who was very, very rich already, won the lottery. And she says, you know what the Bible says? Those who have, they will receive more. And those who don't have, like us teachers who work so hard and we so poor, what we have will be taken away. You know what, my mom is a teacher. You know what, my dad is a teacher. You know what, I was a teacher. You know what, my sister is a teacher. So we just don't have anything. That's just the way it is. That's my mindset. So this guy comes to G- the master, and the master says, you're wicked. Now my question is, can Jesus tell this parable to us today, the same he did this time? No. He cannot. Jesus cannot tell this parable to us today in this room as he did to these people. Just just off the bat, yeah. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem. Ta-da! Jesus is not near Jerusalem today. He's seated in glory at the right hand at the Father in majesty. So this parable told like this has no bearing on us today concerning what he said to them, number one. Second thing is, and because they thought the kingdom would appear immediately. So Jesus is going to go in Hosanna, Hosanna, the kingdom is going to come. Jesus is like, whoa! you need to hear this parable take this talent, this miner, go until I come back, but it's not going to be now. So he can't tell it to us right now. Does that make sense? But what we can do is we can take truths out of this parable and bring it into our world today. Because you see, all three of these people and the ten that he gave the money to, they could not cry out, Abba, Father. Father with a heart that yearns because the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of them, but you and I can. So this parable is very, very different in truth. We can take out stories and we can take out truths and circumstances and situations, but those guys didn't have that. So the parable itself can't be told in the way that it was told. So it goes on, the other things here, but Um, we have been, Colossians, we have been taken from the kingdom of darkness, being translated into the kingdom of the son of his dear love, the the kingdom of light. These guys didn't have that. They didn't have, we do. So that parable like that can't be for us today. This was law, 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 law. Master, slave, master, servant, law, law. Are you and I under that law today? No. So it can't have the same bearing on us today. So now if we go through this parable with the truths of the covenant that we are in today, we get a completely different picture. And this is what Jude says. Keep yourself in the love of God. So for the last, I'm going to take 10 minutes, can we just go through some keeping ourselves in the love of God because he's so good? Can we just really see the goodness of God and take that out when we leave this place today so that when we go home and the world starts knocking on the door and life tries to put you down, we can keep ourselves in the love of God. Ephesians 2 verse 10 started with it last week and let's look at it today again. These guys didn't have Ephesians 2 verse 10. They had Isaiah chapter 1. If you are willing and obedient you will eat the fat of the land. But what does that apply? You have to do. You have to do. You must be obedient and do and do. And when you do Then you will eat the fat of the land. But us in Christ, look here, Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Man, how much do you believe that verse? How much do you believe there's a good work for you that nobody else in this universe can do but you? Can I ask you from a heart of hearts to go home, lock the door, get yourself by yourself and just... Meditate on that truth. There is something, there's a fingerprint on you that you were called to do that no one in the whole universe can do like you. My beloved son or daughter, these guys in this parable didn't have that. We do. So if there's a good work prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, so when the master or this boss, whatever you want to call him, comes and he gives to these three guys, ten of them, but we're just looking at the three. When he gives to them, what did they do to deserve that? Nothing. Nothing doesn't say that they did something special, they put in overtime, they read. No, he just came and he said, hey, 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 he some money. So if he did it for them, why would he not come? Because what are we talking about here? A good work. That's prepare beforehand. So if you have good works for someone, you have to give them everything that can make them successful in that work, right? That's us. So what kind of a master would God be if he says, okay, listen here, here's money, but going to the desert, going to there where no one is, going to that area over there where there's absolutely no business going on, and you bring me back more money, because when I come back, I want more. What good master is going to do that? Not our master. So have you ever? Probably not, but look here. So before the foundation of the earth... Before Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden, God already put certain businesses aside in a certain area to do business at a certain place and time. Because it's their good work. And now when he comes and he says, okay, I've got some money. Why does he give them the money? Because he wants them to rule and reign over cities with him when he comes back in his kingdom. That's why he gives it to them. Because he's got something for them to do. To do what? Be in a partnership with him. So Jesus says, hey, I'm the master. I've created everything. I've done everything. But I don't want to do it by myself. I want you to be my partner. Are you willing? Do Do you want to be my business partner? So here, you don't even have to start. You don't even... I've got everything that you need to do that. Here's the money. Because most of us would say, okay, I need the money. Okay, excuse number one, can't use that anymore. Here you go. Because we've got all these excuses why our good work is not working. And he's like, excuse number one, scraped off, there you go. But now when they go to do business, before Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden, God had already set aside the people that they were to do business with. Whatever they were trading in was set aside so that they could trade at that stage. Whatever they needed, he'd already set aside and performed so that when they started this good work, they could increase so that when he came back, they could bring back more to him. So this parable takes on a completely whole new viewpoint of the master coming to his servants And saying to them, here's money, go out, until I come back, go and trade with us. Doesn't the Bible say that God falls all in all? Yes? So that money that he gave, was his presence not in the money? Because he falls all in all. If it's all in all, his presence is in the money. Do you think the money that Jesus gives someone is blessed? Do you think if it comes out of the pocket of Jesus, it's blessed? So Jesus takes out a blessing and he says, take this blessing and go make more blessing. And the further you sit and the further you look, it's just, man, he's just such a good master. Everything that I need is there. So when he says, go and do business, every person that I need to meet is already there. Every product that I need is already there. Everything that needs to take place for me to be successful has already been set aside. So I just take and I go and I do. Now the word of Jesus, do you think the word of Jesus has power? Most definitely, calm storms. He says to Peter, he says, Peter, come. He beckons him, walking on the water. Disciples are scared. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, okay, Peter, come. When Jesus said to Peter, come, walk on the water, All the molecules in the water heard the voice of Jesus saying to one another, we better pack together because Peter needs to walk on this water. The master has called him. And the molecules obeyed the voice of the master, packed together so that Peter could walk on water. Yes? So when Jesus comes and he says, take this blessing and go and do business, Don't you think all the businesses in the area heard what the master had said? Man, when that guy comes with this money, you better do business with him because that money is blessed. That money is going to make more. Jesus says to Peter, go and pull out the first fish that comes up. There will be money in its mouth. Fish hears, money hears, everything works together. Peter, all he has to do is throw in the line. There's the money. When the master speaks... The only thing that disobeys are people. The businesses obey, the fish obey, the molecules in the water, the weather, the storm, the world. It all It's just people that have an issue with these words. So now when the master comes, this whole parable is so different for me now. Because I used to be that one who he would say, you wicked servant. But it's not. He went to the cross for me so that now on the backside of the cross, everything he gives to me and asks me to do is already blessed because it was blessed before the foundation of the earth. So now I can read this parable without fear in my heart that he's going to come and say, you wicked, so you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you short, you fell, you didn't do this, that, take it away. So for us, as that verse says, to look for the mercy of God, can you go back with me to the Garden of Eden? This morning, just as I was leaving for Jim, God asked me this question. I'm thinking about this. So God who, God knows everything, yes? Beginning, end? There's nothing he doesn't know? Okay, so in the Garden of Eden, it says in chapter 3, he took man, put him by the garden. So he puts him next to the garden. God is in the garden. He's working. Where's man? He's by the garden. What's he doing? Watching God. Then when God is finished, he takes man who has been watching him do this and he puts him in the garden. And now he says, as you were watching me work, continue. Fill up the earth with this garden of Eden. Fill up the earth with my glory. Not by the sweat of your brow, but just the same way I did it. That's why I was working, showing you while you were at the garden, and then when you saw how I did it, I put you in the garden. And now I bless you, and now you can do what I was doing. But in all of that, the planting of seeds and flowers and plants and rocks that God put in there, the gold, the onyx, the silver, all of that, in the mind of the Father, as he's putting these things in the garden and he's planting and their different days that are going by. He has one specific tree in mind because he's already thought out the whole world, universe, everything till the end and, and then he started it. That's why Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. So God knows that these people, at one stage, his people walking through the desert they're going to need something that can contain the presence of God. They're going to need an ark. So he says, okay, you know what? This seed that I have formed and made and which Jesus is on the inside of the seed, his power, his glory, because he fills all in all, I'm going to plant this acacia tree. It's a seed right now. But this seed that I plant is going to make a tree and that tree will have a seed and that seed will make a tree and that and so on and so forth and then when i speak to moses and i say when you make the ark of the covenant you only use acacia wood so god in his wisdom planted in the garden of eden acacia because man was going to need it why acacia is a long time sake in any case but now there's another seed There's another seed that the father knows. Man is going to need wood to put something on a mountain one day that would take away all the mess because of sin. So they're going to need that kind of wood. So in his wisdom, he plants this kind of seed. Knowing in his mind, knowing in his being, knowing in himself that this seed will become a tree, will become a seed, will become a tree, will become a seed tree, seed tree. And one day there will be Roman soldiers who need to make a cross of wood. And they're going to need this kind of wood. So they're going to go to this kind of tree that was a seed that was a tree that was a seed that was a tree that was in the garden and God the Father in his amazing wisdom planted that seed so that one day people could chop down wood and make a cross from it. Isn't that looking at the mercy of God? Now my question, God asked me this this morning because this I I would cry many times when I think about this. Can you imagine a father? Who of you have a son or a a daughter? Who of you have children in here? Can you imagine having to plant something like that, knowing what the effect and what is going to come from that very seed one day in the future concerning your child? But I was so sad, and I was, now this is a question I'm asking you. Do you think that God the Father was very sad when he planted that seed because he knew what was going to happen to Jesus on the cross? Or was he planting that seed, not being sad, because he knew what the cross would do and what would come After the cross, Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the shame, he didn't bear the shame because of the joy set before him. So the father's planting this and knowing that the joy that was set before Jesus, he would go through everything he did and hang on that cross so that one day he would have this room full of people that are reborn, seated in heavenly places, filled with the love and the love and the love and the love and the unending love, unconditional love of God, that nothing would be able to separate you from that. What father would do that? Same father in this parable here. The same one that came and said, here, I take of what is mine, which is blessed, and I bless you with it. Now go and bless others with the same thing. And because I have blessed it, you can be prosperous and you can make more. And when I come back, you can bring and say, look here, what you have given me has multiplied and your miner has made 10 more. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. And i got to go, me, myself, got to go through everything again. And i got to just look at Jesus. Red letters, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because of what I have gone through in my soul and how I was shaped and what A.W. Tozer says. Of, what did he say about the soul? What was that? Nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy concept of God. So I have to rethink. I've got to see God. God is good. What does good really mean? Man, go look at Jesus. Healing the poor, dying for us when we had no power, while we were yet sinners, giving himself. That's the love of God. That's our Jesus. That's the one who hands us the gifts and says, You are blessed, this is blessed, go and be a blessing. Because sometimes things happen in the world and we go from there where we are constantly seated and in our emotions we go down here because of a wrong and a broken soul. But he says in his word, I pray above all that you prosper in your souls because when you do that and you have the right vision of me, things will work for you. I hope that helps someone, but we need to keep ourselves daily in the goodness and the love of God. And we need to retrain our souls so that no matter what happens, God is good. Let's stand. Father, we thank you once again for this word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. Thank you that you are the teacher of the church. Not sickness, not disease, not poverty. None of that is our teacher. You are our teacher. So we just open ourselves to everything you are wanting to teach us. Thank you, Jesus, that you said you will send one just like you. The helper, the comforter, the teacher, the guider. And we just ask Holy Spirit that you would help us as the word says that we would renew our minds. That we would see truth. That we would see you even as we were singing today. That when we look into you we see our reflection. That's how close we are to the truth. And we see truth for truth. That we don't assume things about you that are not true. That we don't live out things that are not true. But it's just because we perceive them that way. So give us eyes to see which we have, Lord, and ears to hear which we have. Your word says we are your sheep and we hear your voice. So we receive the truth from your word. Thank you, Lord, for helping us see, as the word says, that we would have eyes of revelation, that we would open the eyes of our understanding that we would be enlightened in the glory and the knowledge of you. We can't do this without you. The word says in you we live, we breathe, we move, we have our being. Everything, Lord, is in you because of you. You are truth. You are the way. Thank you that we are on the way. We're in the way. We're walking with the way. Thank you, Lord, for opening doors of understanding and wisdom more and more so that we receive more and more truth and revelation of who you are in our lives and who you are to us. We love you and we bless you and we thank you for this word. We give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want prayer, you can come to the front. Have a blessed week and we'll see you next week.